What's up, everybody? I'm Sarah. I'm Shauna. I'm Sam. And I'm Bobby. And this is Speaking of Murders. back everybody to another episode of speaking of murders and welcome to the new listeners before we get started on today's episode we're going to shamelessly plug our other shows speaking of missing persons and unsolved mayhem if you haven't checked those out make sure you do they're great shows you'll love them so uh shauna is going to be telling us our murder case today and uh who are we talking about or is it multiple who's it's a one who and his name is John. Yes. John. John. <laughs> Sorry, my computer just was like sleep right as I said that. Um, John Sleep. John. McGillicuddy. Oh Hag. I've been thinking about it for the last 20 minutes. Hag? No. Hag. H-A-I-G-H. Hag. I think that's how they pronounced it. Okay. That's where we're going with. We are also not in America. John was raised in the village of Outwood, West Riding of Yorkshire. Okay. Are we talking about England? Yeah. Yorkshire? No. I am in America, so I'm going to read this <laughs> like I was an American. Like I am an American because I am. So we're going to read this in my language. Thank you. <laughs> in her own personal one. <laughs> yes. All right. Got it. My apologies. It's spelled Yorkshire. That's what I'm saying. I'm staying out of it. Well, here's the deal. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about it real quick. I can barely speak American style English, <laughs> let alone other people's English. I'm not like getting hostile. I'm like being. For real, mm-hmm. I struggle. It's all good. More than I don't. So whatever more Bobby more said, that's where uh, we're at. Baba B. <laughs> oh, my God, y'all. We're talking about John. <laughs> I'm just saying, whatever Bobby said, that's probably more correct than whatever I fucking said. He said Yorkshire. I can't. <laughs> There's no U. <laughs> it's an I. Okay, anyway. <laughs> He was raised by his father, John, and his mother, Emily. They were conservative Protestants, like hardcore. Okay. John was, uh, as a child, really great at piano, which he had learned uh, in his house. I don't know why that's relevant, but it is. Okay. He also enjoyed going to concerts and listening to classical music. He had... Even gotten a scholarship to Queen Elizabeth Grammar School in Wakefield. Okay. And just for clarity, grammar school over there is the same thing as elementary school over here. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just a school specific to grammar. Yeah. That's just what they call elementary schools. 
He also had gotten another scholarship to the Wakefield Cathedral, which I'm not exactly sure what that is. I'm assuming a church because yeah, that's where it he had like a Catholic church. Because that's where he had become a choir boy. Which is weird if they're Protestant. Well, my thing is, is he got a scholarship to this place. Okay. Which, to me, that's even weirder if it's like a church of any kind. Once he had graduated, he had become an apprentice to a firm of motor engineers. He then took jobs in the insurance and advertising field after losing the apprenticeship. At 21, he was accused of stealing cash, so he was fired from those insurance and advertising jobs. This dude just can't hang on to anything. Right. No, not really. Except stuff that isn't his, apparently. (laughs) Right you are, Bobby. Right you are. That led him to forging car documents. Okay. So it is a Catholic school. It's like apparently a very prestigious Catholic school. So it means he was really smart. Yeah. When he was 23, he married a woman named Beatrice or Betty Hamer on July 6th, 1934. Why do I feel like Betty's always end up with monsters? Hey now, Henry is a lovely guy. He is. Who's Henry? My grandfather. Oh. My grandma Betty's husband. <laughs> I just feel like a lot of, <laughs> I just feel like a lot of women named Betty end up in a bad spot. Except Betty's not her real name, right? Uh, like her birth name, given name? I it's thought? not her birth name. But it is her current legal name. Right. Uh, that's right. She changed it. Yeah, because when she moved to the States, her name was Betsy, and she changed it okay, because so she's a Betsy. one of her friends told her that Betsy was a cow's name. Yeah. And she's like, right. I'm not named after a cow. That's just rude. She said, bitch, I'm not a cow. <laughs> and changed it to Betty. <laughs> that's now intense. that song is going to be stuck in my head. That's really intense that you would go, you go through a whole name change because it was made fun of once. No, I think it was one of those you can't unhear it type of situations. <laughs> yeah. Like, once fuck, she was Betsy's told. a cow's name. Son <laughs> of a bitch. Yeah, once she was told that's a cow's name, she was like, and we're done. We're changing that. <laughs> yep. That's pretty much what happened. <laughs> All right. Back to Betty and John. Which her name isn't actually Betty either. It's Beatrice. Yeah. It didn't take long for the marriage to fall apart. Well, I would say not. He's a thief and a fraud. Yep. The year John was put in prison for fraud was the same year that his daughter was born. Let me guess. He never saw her. Well, no. Because that's when Betty decided that she was going to leave John and put the baby up for adoption. Like, unfortunate for the baby. Yeah. Well, seeing as we're in, like, the 1930s, it made sense for her so that she wouldn't be ridiculed. For being a single mom. And leaving her husband. Because, Because of all of that with Betty, John's family literally cut him off and never spoke to him ever again. That is how conservative they were. 
1936, John got a job driving a wealthy business owner named William McSwan around London, which is where John had moved after he had gotten out of prison. William owned a, an amusement arcades, an amusement arcades. Basically, I feel like this is just like a, what we would just refer to as an arcade, which is like a bunch of games, like Dave right. and Buster's. Um, but I think at that point it was probably like slot machines because they had, yeah. so it was, it was probably like more of a grown right. up thing yeah. than a child thing. Well, see, that's why I referred to it the way that they referred to it was because I very well couldn't find what was in this building. M- more than likely it was slot machine. It was like a small casino, like a strip yeah, mall probably. version of a casino. The exact meaning of an amusement arcade is a place where you can play games on machines which work when you put money inside of them. Yeah, so, so yeah. Arcade. It was probably both well, slots would consider as that. Yeah, yeah, screw dive bars. It's a dive casino. Yeah. Okay. Well, John would also work for William working on those machines. Gotcha. Like maintaining them and all of that stuff. After that, though, after he had gotten fired from doing all this with William, he then decided to sell fake stock shares that he had, quote-unquote, gotten from his dead clients because he had none, okay? These clients are not real to begin with. They're imaginary clients. Imaginary clients, so dead clients, so that he could sell them to people at low rates. And he did this under an alias, which was William Cato Adamson. Okay. He ran this fake stock share selling business of his from, here we go, Chancery Lane, London, Guildford, Surrey, Hashings, and Sussex, which I feel like is the only one that in London that I pronounce correctly. <laughs> yeah, I think you nailed all of them. Yeah, I think you got you it. You did a great job. I tried real hard, I, I swear. Think, I think you did it. He was found out, like he was found guilty of doing this because one of the people he was trying to sell these stocks to realized that he had misspelled Guildford for Guilford. Like, he left out the D in Guildford on letterheads. So his, like, business papers. Right. His forged business papers. What a weird-ass mistake. I needed spell check. He probably could have used it, yeah. So he got caught on a typo. Yeah, pretty much. And it's so minuscule that I could see how people wouldn't have even noticed. Because it's literally just one letter taken out of the name. I believe that they would notice something like that. There was so much less to do at that point. Yeah. Like they were just analyzing everything. I also feel like he was such a good con man that he was more or less trying to sell these things through the wives versus the husbands. Not that I'm saying they're dumb, but like... They're, they weren't supposed to handle those things back in the 30s. Screw Kirby vacuums and Tupperware. I'm selling these women's stocks. So that got him another f- 
well, that got him a four-year prison sentence. When he was released, World War II had just begun. I feel like I've heard this story. He would end up being put and sentenced, like, being sentenced to, like, many more prison, prison stays for fraud over years. So he didn't learn his lesson. Uh, fuck no. This man committed all the fraud. <laughs> all the frauds. After serving all that time in prison is when John started to regret just not killing his fraud victims. I have heard this story. He like, he's like, you know what? I would have gotten away with all of this had I if just murdered them. Did. <laughs> yeah, like. At that point, it's just robbery, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, no. It, it, that's definitely what this turns into. John started looking into, okay, this is a French name, so <laughs> I'm going to say George because that is exactly how it's spelled with an S. Alexandri Serret. Wait, there. did you say George with an S? Yeah, it's spelled George. It's a French name, mm-hmm. so it's literally George with just an S at the end. Okay. So I would think that it would still be like George, right? Instead of George's? Yeah. I think so. I have no idea. That's what we're going with. It's a French name, so if that helps you in any way, shape, or form. He was a French murderer that used sulfuric acid as a means to dissolve dead bodies, the dead bodies of his victims. Okay. So basically, John kind of became obsessed with that whole idea. So he started doing his own test with sulfuric acid on mice. Ew. He realized that their bodies would dissolve in 30 minutes. Damn. Well, they got little bones. Gross. 1943, John took another job as an accountant for an engineering company. He had also gotten out of prison this same year. So in 19- I understand how this man continues to get hired. Because they back then they weren't looking at your prison record. Yeah, they weren't doing they background weren't doing checks. They weren't doing background checks. So he had gotten out of prison and then basically gotten this accounting job. He's probably accounting one of job. the reasons they started doing background <laughs> checks. <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked, <laughs> to be fair. It's like, okay, we got to figure something out, guys. We've been getting screwed a lot. <laughs> we've, we've been hiring people that are just... Full of fraud. Number one question on the application. When's the last time you were in prison? (laughs) And what were you there for? When's the last time you committed (laughs) fraud? I mean, there has to be a a case that makes people be like, "Mm, we should start questioning (laughs) these people a little more. I feel like there is, but I don't feel like it was a fraud thing or even like theft. I think it was drugs. Oh, yeah. 100%. They're like, these people keep coming in here and can't do their shit because they're so fucked up. This drug test. (laughs) Background check. Because, like, you can still do your job being fraudulent. Just not well. Around this same time, at a Kingston... No. (laughs) (laughs) Kensington Bar... It's spelled Kensington. Yeah. Kensington. Yeah, well, I can't throw all that together that quickly. John 
just so happened to run into William McSwan. So they were just in the same place, same time. This was the person he was using as an alias. No, William McSwan was the guy he chauffeured for. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. William introduced John to his parents that day, which uh, William also was doing, like, side work for them because they had owned a bunch of properties in London, which is something that I assume by the story he had told John that he was doing. So basically in London, he was just collecting their rent for them. I guess he was taking a portion and then giving the rest to his parents. Like, it was a side job for real. On September 6th, 1944, William just vanished. John said that he had talked to William. This is what he said in confession, really. John said that he had talked William into a basement on Glorichester Road. There's no H there. Chester, Glorichester Road. We'll get there. I swear we will. It's like... I don't know. I'm adding too many letters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I added an R where there was no R. <laughs> and an H where there was no H. That road. Gloucester. There you go. Remember that, though. <laughs> so I'm going to need you to say it again. Gloucester. Maybe. That makes more sense. Maybe. Okay. So they're in this basement on whatever that, that road. Just point me. I'll say it. <laughs> <laughs> John hit William in the head with a pipe and then put his body in a 48-gallon drum full of slough. Nope. <laughs> it's, it's all bad. Just point at me. <laughs> Just keep pointing at me. <laughs> it's his job. Sulfuric acid. Sulfuric acid. There we go. He had left it there for two days before dumping it in a manhole when it had just dissolved enough to Ew. not look <laughs> That's human anymore. That's like jelly. Yeah. Ugh. John then went to William's parents and fabricated a whole story about how William went into hiding in Scotland. He was like mm-hmm. dipped to Scotland so that he wouldn't have to like join the military if he was recruited right, to. Right, because of the war. Right. John then moved into William's house and took over collecting the rent for his parents. Makes sense. Does it? Because, like... No, it absolutely does not make I, sense. I think that I have friends that would like... That their parents would just be like, yeah, just take over their house. Like, I mean, in cool war it. times, As it's a believable parents, story. I would have had a lot of questions. Yeah, I would have been like, why didn't he tell us? Yeah. I swear you're not my son. You say you are, but I don't think that's right. I don't know. I just don't understand how you move into someone's house. Just like that. Just, you know what? This is mine now, and I'll do the things that he was doing for you. When William's parents started to question John on why William hadn't returned yet, or why he hadn't talked to them or anything, John then convinced them to go to the same basement he had murdered their son by saying that he was back for a surprise visit. He then murdered them in the same fashion and put them in the 48-gallon drum of sulfuric acid. I mean, he pretty much at that point had no choice. Pretty much. 
Yeah, I mean, they were asking too many questions. They, yeah, they were asking him too many questions, and he's just like, oh, yeah, he's in the basement. He came back from Scotland, and it's a secret. Y'all can go down and visit. I wonder where whose basement this fucking is, because it never says this is John's basement. Well, I mean... It just says, it literally says a basement on this street. Whose fucking basement is this? It's probably abandoned. Probably. John then sold William's parents' properties, collected William's pension check, giving him about 8,000 euros. He then packed his bags and moved into the Onslow Court Hotel in Kensington. Got it. Got it. As of 1947, John had gambled away most of that money. Makes sense. Yeah. But he had a plan. He wasn't just going to be broke as fuck. So what did he do? He found a couple named Archibald Henderson and his wife Rose after inquiring about a house that they were selling. So I'm assuming that small talk happened. You know how it kind of does when people are showing houses that whatever. Rose then invited... John into their own home to be a pianist for a housewarming party. Since he was in their house, he decided to steal Archibald's handgun, which will be used for later crimes. Who does that? I don't know. It's just like, you know what? I don't know. I'm going to steal this handgun because I'm going to need it later. John does. Yeah, John. (laughs) That's who does. John does. Mm -hmm. We know what you're doing, Jonathan. I feel like he pretty much just did that his whole life. He just walked by shit and was like, and this is mine now. And this is mine. That's no longer yours. It's mine. I saw it. It's mine. Oh, yeah. Pretty much. Because at this point, he's like, okay, I'm going to rent a workshop in Crowley, Sussex, and move the 48-gallon drums of sulfuric acid there. Okay. Then on February 12th, 1948, John had asked Archibald to come to the workshop to check out an invention he had made. I would say no. Because he's like, at this point, he is claiming to be like an engineer of some sort. And that is where John shot Archibald in the head. I'm assuming with his own gun. Yeah, with Archibald's gun. He then repeated the process with Rose with a different lie saying Archibald had gotten sick while at this workshop. So he took her there and shot her in the back of the head and then put them in the drums. What would you do? What do you mean? Hire like, an let's assistant? Just say, no, let's just say, <laughs> I'm not talking about if you were the killer. I'm talking about if you <laughs> were, it's a very put me down question. for Archibald and Rose at 9.15. Hire your own Igor. <laughs> yes. I'm just saying, Bobby goes to meet this dude to look at an invention, okay? And oh. then the dude comes to you and is like, mm, he got real sick in, in this workshop. Can you come, you know, I'll check take on your you husband? There. I'll take you there, blah, blah, blah. That would never happen. But if I'm it did. My reflexes are too fast. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing yeah, gets over my head. Yeah, to avoid a bullet. Great. Would you go? Probably not. I mean, I don't know, because I don't live in the 30s. So, protocol at that point in time was a lot different. Well, give it 10 oh, years, my you'll be living in the 30s. Let me go tend to him, please. I'm just saying. Now? I'd, no, I'd be like, <laughs> he'd call me. 
He has he hasn't texted me yet, so he's oh, probably he's fine. Like, let me call him real quick and double check. Yeah, that I yeah. mean, I guess you're right because like my first thought is like, uh, then why didn't you call an ambulance? Yeah, like like why am I not going to the hospital? Right. Why am I going to this random workshop? You took all this time to come find me to tell me he's sick. Right. No. Yeah, even in the 1930s, I'd be like, yeah, let him die. <laughs> it's fine. It's harsh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even I'm not that cold-hearted, man. I have realized that I'm one fucked-up individual. Anyway. I would legit at least be like, how sick? And should we go find a doctor? They do make house calls. Sam would just be like, which end is it coming out of? <laughs> if it's Did the, he have if milk? If it's the back end, he's fine. That's normal. <laughs> Did he have milk? Cause like I'm you didn't just feed him milk, did you? I'm just gonna say this, and please, Michael, forgive As me. If you were a fucking uh, gremlin, <laughs> she give him milk after midnight. See, my first thought was like, what did he do? Stub his toe? <laughs> but like, uh, Michael, right? Not me. <laughs> oh, yeah. y- your husband is laying on the floor bleeding out. <laughs> what did he do? Stub his toe? <laughs> It's very possible. He stubs his toes a lot. Yeah, and then he's bedridden for like a month. <laughs> yeah, and then the toe is broken in his mind, and then he can't walk. <laughs> I love him, but it's always a toe. This is what electrical tape was invented for. I feel like I feel like that one time that he stubbed his toe and it completely broke off. <laughs> I mean, he literally stubbed his toe on a laundry basket, and it broke. <laughs> so, <laughs> the basket or the toe? The toe. <laughs> he has fragile tootsies. And if, you know, people sitting here ask him to help move <laughs> them, then he's literally going to stub a toe and be out of commission for like a month. Because he does it every time he helps someone move. He drops something on his toes. Yeah, I know. Tell him to wear steel-toed boots. He'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, back to Archibald and Rose and John. After they were in the drums, John wrote a document with forged signatures of Archibald and Rose, then sold all their shit. But what a good guy he is because he kept the car and their dog. He didn't sell the dog. I have nothing to say to this. I'm being fucking sarcastic as shit because, like, you know I'm what? Not. I'm going to sell God everything they the own. the dog. It's innocent in all of this. Yeah, the dog didn't do shit wrong. I mean, he probably could have got the most money for the car. Well, they clearly had properties. They were trying to sell a house. But at okay, the same so how much money did he get? 8,000 euros. That's not Again? that much money. I mean, I guess it might be back then. I don't know. He's about to gamble away. Again. Well, I feel like he makes another decision here. When he meets Olive Duran Deacon, a 69-year-old woman who was widowed and would be John's last victim. She lived in the Onslow Court Hotel, where John also lived. And I guess for whatever reason... Like I said, John was saying that he was an engineer, so she decided to pitch him an idea about fake nails. Okay. 
So what does John do on February 18th, 1949? He took her to the workshop, shot her in the back of the neck with this stolen gun, took all of her high-priced things, like her Persian lamb coat, then put her in the drum. Unlike the others, Olive was reported missing just two days after she, like, after John took her there by one of her good friends. So that is actually what got them looking for people in general. Because, I mean, if you think about it, all the other people, he had literally killed everyone that would have... That would have reported them missing. Right. And he probably thought because she, her age and her living where she lived that she didn't have anybody. Right. With... John's criminal background, I guess they started just looking into the people that lived around Olive. Well, they came across his criminal background and decided to search his workshop. Because, again, this is the 40s. Smart choice. They are allowed to do more stuff than they are now. Right. Inside, they found a dry cleaner's receipt for Olive's coat and documents talking about the Hendersons and the McSwans. Okay. Police discovered that he would pour the remains from the drums on a rubble pile outside of this workshop. He was just dumping them outside. Yeah, because he didn't have a drain in the floor. When they found this, this is how they figured out where he was like dumping these. They had found 28 pounds of human fat, some of a foot, gallstones, and part of Olive's dentures. Gross. After some time of, you know, being interrogated, John just confessed to the murders of Olive, the Hendersons, the McSwans, and he also added three more people. But those are not confirmed, so they're not really talked about. So he said that he did, but they don't really know if he did or not. Right. At his trial, he tried to plead insanity, but they weren't fucking having that. The jury. Me either. The jury found him guilty within a few minutes. They basically left the room, went, yeah, that guy's guilty, and walked the fuck back into the courtroom. Well, I mean, if he confessed, why was he even trying to say he wasn't guilty? That's why he was trying to plead insanity. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. He pled guilty, guilty with insanity. Sanity. And they were like, mm, no. Mm, no, no, you're you not clearly, insane. clearly knew what the hell you were doing this entire time. Yeah, pretty much. He was sentenced to death and was executed on August 10th, 1949. And his last meal was brandy. I mean, that's a good meal. Yeah, he went out. Yeah, he went out drinking. Fair enough. I mean, if that was me, yeah, I probably wouldn't waste the time to eat the food. I'd just be like, pour some alcohol in a cup. Yeah, you know what, though? I mean, it makes sense. You get drunk on a bottle of alcohol, death doesn't seem so bad, does it? <laughs> I mean, that's I don't think they give prisoners the option now to have alcohol. Yeah, not anymore, I don't think. No. Well, back then, they must have had it good. Get drunk to the point of not giving a fuck that you're about to be I murdered. I would definitely be like, can you give me some, like, heroin? Does that <laughs> count as the last think... meal? Because then you're knocked out. You're pretty much, like, completely out of it. Yeah, I don't think that you can ask I police for heroin. Supply you with heroin. Like, I feel like alcohol, sure, especially if you're over 21. 
Like, yeah, that's not illegal, but, like, can you just go down to evidence and grab that heroin you confiscated four days ago? I mean, it'd be worth a shot. Why not? All right. Well, if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you let us know. Leave us five stars wherever you're listening. Hit the subscribe button. Uh, don't forget to share the show with someone you know, a family member, a coworker, a friend, whoever you want. Uh, if you have a case that you want to hear on this show, send that to our email, speakingofmurders at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, I think that's it. So we will see y'all back next week. Bye. 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 Bye.